Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to welcome you back to the program today and trust that you have been enjoying the things we've been sharing from the Word of God concerning the book of Revelation. And once again, uh, let me say and reiterate that uh, we are simply putting these things out with all humility to give you the opportunity to eat the grapes, spit out the seeds, make a decision for yourself. We really believe, though, that it is important to at least understand that there are multiple views of the book of Revelation. That, that is, goes without question. The more I study this book, the more varied the opinions we find throughout uh, um, history and throughout uh, especially our times. Uh, one of the things, though, that I believe that we have consistently showed you is how these things fit chronologically in the time slot in which they were declared. Now, uh, I just believe that when you see these things set in their time slot, that it makes it so much easier for you to be able to put them in context and compare spiritual things with spiritual things, not spiritual things with USA Today or CNN, because we could, you know, uh, subjectively, over the years, my many years in ministry, uh, and when I did not believe the things that I'm teaching you, I, I, matter of fact, I didn't even know there was a name for what we believe. Some people call it uh, partial preterism. Uh, others call it uh, 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 post-millennialism, different, different titles for different things. Uh, I did not even know what that term meant. I literally was a truth seeker. I still am a truth seeker. So probably what we are is a synthesis or a conglomerate of all the things that I've studied all over the years to try to put them in place to where they fit, at least I believe, in the minds of almost anyone who could come and take a look at this book and read it. And, I, and the, the, the response that we've gotten from you has been incredible. And we absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for your Facebook hits, your emails that have encouraged us, your notes, and uh, especially those of you who've got behind us financially and helped us because that really is, uh, you know, one of the things that helps us continue to take this around the globe. But uh, your response has been overwhelmingly positive. And what is amazing to me is that we've heard from people who have not necessarily even been in church. And they said, you know what? We appreciate the fact that what you're teaching, we can understand it. And, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, people, I had, had a, a, a tremendous letter from a guy who, uh, was in prison and some who have been set free from addictions in their lives and said, this stuff makes sense to me. That's encouraging to me because I used to leave Revelation seminars when I was younger and think, Lord, I don't understand what they're saying, but they're educated and they must know what they mean. But I also appreciate the letters who've come from the other end of the spectrum and highly educated people who have written to us and said, we get what you're saying and we appreciate it. Thank you. And amazingly, uh, our thanking us for sharing these things. So we're going to continue to do that. I want to jump back in again today to the 10th chapter of the book of Revelation and share some things with you uh, again that will help us set the stage for coming into the 11th chapter and we're going to try to cover them in the next few segments. But it says in verse 1, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. His face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book that was open. And he sat his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. 
And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying uh, unto me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are in the earth and the things that therein are, that in the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be no time, that there should be time no longer. Again, if you'll check this out in any other translation, pretty much any other translation, it will not say time no longer. It will say that there should be no more intervention of time, that there should be any more waiting or delay. And especially in the Amplified Bible, it brings that out. But others, it talks about there's no more intervention of time. In other words, the time of, uh, if you will, waiting was over. Uh, I believe that the time of waiting was over. And one of the things that I believe about the time of waiting, remember that when we started this teaching on trumpets, probably about eight or nine segments ago, it was the coals that were taken from the altar of incense that were cast into the earth. And when they cast these, uh, you know, uh, coals of fire into the earth, there was silence in heaven for about the space of half hour, and then seven trumpets got ready to sound. Now, if you remember what we shared with you before from the earlier part of the book of Revelation, uh, that there were souls under the altar who were uh, the uh, slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They were the martyrs of Jesus, and they were under the altar, and they were crying, How long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? Now, let me say to you that uh, their prayer was, how long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? Now, uh, when he says here in Revelation 10, in the final trumpet that's about to sound, remember then, it is the prayers, these souls, let me say this again, make it clearer. The souls are under the altar saying, how long, Lord, till you avenge us? How long do you avenge the martyrs? And uh, he begins to respond and tells them they need to rest for yet a little season. But it is their prayers that ignite, if you will, they're cast into the earth and seven trumpets get ready to sound. And these trumpets begin to announce judgments that are coming. They are in direct response to the prayers of these martyrs saying, how long till thou dost avenge us? Now, if you remember in Matthew 23, Jesus says to the uh, apostates there and to those scribes, Pharisees, he said, fill up then the measure of your father's sin because you yourself are witnesses that you are the children of them who killed the prophets. And he said that you have killed the prophets, stoned them that were sent to you, that from the blood of uh, Abel to the blood of Zacharias, all the blood of all that were slain, all the martyrs that were slain would come upon that generation. So that when you come over here into the book of Revelation chapter 10, and he says that there will be no more waiting or delay, it's no more waiting or delay, no more intervention of time that there should be any more waiting for these days of vengeance to come and these final days of God executing uh, His judgments upon them. Let me quickly see if I can find this also in the book of St. Luke, and we will probably connect this dot a little bit later on uh, when we get into the next chapter, but I believe it's chapter 21. Yeah. Uh, chapter 21, verse 22 of the book of St. Luke. Luke 21, verse 22. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Verse 20 says, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, this is Luke chapter 21, verse 20, uh, with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. 
Then let him which is in Judea flee into the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them that are in the countries enter therein. Let them that let them let and let not them that are in the countries enter in therein too. For these, watch this, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things, all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are without in them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. He's talking specifically to that people. This text is not somewhere out in 2016 or 17. And verse 24 says, and, if they shall, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now he's talking about imminently what was occurring right here during this period of time in history when Jerusalem was encompassed by the Roman armies from about 66 to 70 AD, somewhere in that time slot. And he calls that, if you'll see as we open the next chapter, that the temple is trodden underfoot for 42 months and that the Gentiles was given to the Gentiles to trod underfoot. I submit to you that the times of the Gentiles have a direct connection to this same time slot in the book of St. Luke chapter 21, verse number 24, when he says that this stuff would be the fulfillment of all that God spoke through the prophets concerning, if you will, the judgment from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, that these are the days of vengeance. And he was saying to them, then, if you are in Judea, flee into the mountains. If you're out in the country, don't come back into the city because it's going to be a time of great distress until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, he says in Luke 21, verse 24. So the time of the Gentiles was not just uh, their inclusion uh, into the gospel. That's an ongoing thing. Uh, a matter of fact, I believe one of the mysteries that ends here in Revelation the 10th chapter when he said the mystery of God will be finished. One of the mysteries that I believe begins to come to its conclusion or consummation is the mystery of Colossians 1, 26 and 27. And that is the mystery that was hid from ages, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Another translation says Christ in and among all of you, including the Gentiles, the hope of glory. So he was including both Jew and Gentile, and I think you see that in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, when there is a woman about to give birth to a man-child, there is a nation uh, that is about to travail. There is a Zion that travails that's about to bring forth a son. Zion in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, is... Uh, the new covenant people of God. When he said, you did not come to Mount Sinai, or you did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, stay away in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. But he goes on to say, but you are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So uh, he's telling them that you haven't come to an old covenant, but you've come to a new covenant. He's giving them a convincing argument about the new covenant that was dawning, that was now coming on the scene. What was taking place during this 40-year transition period from 30 AD to 70 AD when Jesus said, this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. What was happening was, according to the writer of the book of Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians is, I believe it is chapter 3, he says the old was fading away. So it was a fading away period. There was still a temple standing. There was still people offering animal sacrifices. 
There were still debates over circumcision. There are still old covenant things that are going on throughout uh, the epistles and that transition from 30 AD to 70 AD. But on the heels of 70 AD, with the destruction of the temple, there is no longer simply a, if you will, uh, an earnest of our salvation or the down payment of our redemption, according to Ephesians 1, but it is a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. When I believe, he said, when you see all these things take place and you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies and you see all this desolation take place, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. He was not talking about a flight out of here. He was talking about a salvation that was once for all delivered to the saints that you and I could walk in the fullness of his redemption, spirit, soul, and body, and that that would be, uh, that would be the inheritance of the believers that we were about to receive a kingdom according to Hebrews the 12th chapter which could not be shaken a kingdom which could not be removed the other one was about to be shaken what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12 when he said that uh, everything that can be shaken was about to be shaken and that our God is a consuming fire and he said if the the, the things that were shaken before uh, did not remain then only that which remains is going to be a kingdom which cannot be removed let me tell you that shaking is not talking about something that's going to happen in our political world in the year 2015, 16 or somewhere in our future. That was the shaking that was occurring right then in the history of this transition between an old covenant and a new covenant. A mighty angel with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea is making a declaration that there's no more time that's, that any longer and that, uh, uh, that, that uh, these things are about to occur uh, and there's no more time that's going to intervene. Let me read to you from the book of Ezekiel also something very similar to that. Uh, let me see, I, I, I messed it up. And he said to me, Son of man, this is verse 1, stand upon your feet and I will speak to you. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet. And I heard him that spake unto me and he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say to, unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, and they, uh, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house. Yet shall, uh, yet shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Uh, though briars and thorns be with thee, and though thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, uh, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a most rebellious. For thou, O son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like the rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written there lamentations, and mornings and woe. Now remember in the book of Revelation, the prior chapters to this, there was yet remaining some woes. I submit to you that these woes that are remaining are the same woes that Jesus prophesied to them in Matthew 24 to this same rebellious house. Ezekiel is the pattern for this. 
And he's saying to the rebellious house, it is woe to you. Well, as I shared before in a former segment, it is woe, woe, woe to them because God is keeping his end of the covenant bargain that he promised them under the old covenant because they would not receive their Messiah. But the day of the Lord is two-dimensional. It is both great and terrible. And so when you see this book open, it is both great and terrible. It is sealed on the backside with seven seals, but the Lamb opens it in the book of Revelation. I submit to you that it's great for the people of God because it's the opening of the new covenant. And I submit to you, it is woe to those who did not receive this new covenant. It is the curses that he promised them under all of these things. And then he goes on to say in Ezekiel, moreover, he said unto me, son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, son of man, cause thy, it will cause thy belly to eat, and to fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them, for thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. So I submit to you that these, once again, are the judgments that are coming upon Israel. This so powerfully fits every prophetic word. It fits the prophetic words of Jesus when he says uh, that not, he's looking, he's, listen, the context here is, He's looking at the beautiful buildings of the temple. And uh, he says to them, do you, see, do you not see all these things? Not one stone is going to be left on another that shall not be thrown down. See, God was about to allow them to dismantle a physical temple, but he was going to move into a spiritual temple. I think one aspect, again, of the mystery of God being finished is in Colossians 1.26, where God literally says the mystery which is hid from ages is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, this whole book of Revelation is called the apocalypse or to uncover uh, that which is hidden. The word apocalypse does not mean bombs bursting in air and just catastrophic things. It means an uncovering or an unveiling. What's being uncovered and unveiled is yes to apostates judgment, but what is being uncovered to the believer is there is a redemption that's drawing nigh, that there is a manifestation of Christ in his corporate body that's going to, at the end of this book, make every enemy its footstool. I mean, the sword that's going to come out of the mouth of our Savior in the latter part of the book of Revelation is going to destroy all the enemies of the cross. To me, that's not a literal sword that he's going to use there, but the preaching of the gospel that has the power to change the nations of the earth with the word that's proceeding out of his mouth. It will ultimately conquer the beast. It will ultimately conquer all the enemies of the cross, and it will deliver a kingdom which shall not be destroyed, and the kingdom will not be left to other people, according to Daniel chapter 2, I believe it is verse 45. But when he takes this book to eat it, 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 let me just say this as well. He puts one foot on the land and he puts one foot on the sea and declares that there would be no more intervention of time just for the sake of possibility. I read also in the writings of Josephus, let me see if I can, uh, I think I have that with me also as well here, but in the writings of Josephus, uh, he describes uh, the, the temple, uh, let me just uh, uh, read it from this. It says, um, it was he was describing the house. 
And uh, in verse number, uh, let me see, it's not verse, but this is from uh, the temple uh, was the gate of heaven, book five, from the coming of Titus to besiege Jerusalem to the great extremity to which the Jews were reduced. It's chapter five uh, in the book of, uh, uh, book number five of the writings of Josephus. It says, uh, let me just cut down here. It says uh, in verse, or down here it says, but then this house, as it was divided, into two parts. The inner part was lower than the appearance of the outer and had golden doors of 55 cubits altitude and 16 in breadth. But before these doors, uh, there was a veil of equal largeness with the doors. It was a Babylonian curtain embroidered with blue and fine linen and scarlet and purple and of the contexture that was truly wonderful. Nor was this mixture of colors without its mystical interpretation, but was a kind of image of the universe. For by the scarlet there seemed to be an enigmatically signified fire, and by the fine flax, by the fine flax earth, and by the blue the air, and by the purple the sea. Two of them having their collars, the foundation of this resemblance, but the fine flax and the purple have their own origin for that foundation. The earth producing one and the sea the other. This curtain also had also embroidered upon it all that was mystical in the heavens, excepting that of the twelve signs representing twelve living creatures. Now I want to simply, uh, and it goes, when any person entered the temple, it's for received them. This part of the temple therefore was, it was in height sixty cubits and its length the same, whereas its breadth uh, was but 20 cubits. But still the 60 cubits in length was divided, and the first part of it was cut off at 40 cubits, and had in it three things that were very wonderful and famous among all mankind, the candlestick, and the table of showbread, the altar of incense. Now the seven lamps signified the seven planets, for so many there were springing out of the candlestick. Now the twelve loaves that were upon the table signified the circle of the zodiac and the year, but the altar of incense by its thirteen kinds of sweet-smelling spices with which the sea replenished it signified that God is the possessor of all things that are both in the inhabitable and habitable parts of the earth. If I read to you the first part of it, the first visible door, in other words, let me just explain it like this to you. The temple that was standing had three courts, a most holy place. The part that I did not read to you was that the entrance into that door, uh, I'm reading this again from the writings, for it represented the universal visibility of heaven and that it cannot be excluded from any place. Its front was covered with gold all over and through it first part of the house that was more inward, did all appear, which as it was very large. So what they considered the most holy place to be was literally the gate of heaven. When you see later in the book of Revelation, and I probably should not have opened this can of worms this early, but in the latter part of the book of Revelation, we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, an old heaven and an old earth pass away. The writings of Josephus to the mind of the Jewish scholar Heaven and earth was not just a, uh, a distant place, but it was their temple. The door into the most holy place was the, as it were, it, it looked like the embroideries of vines and vineyards and cherubims and angels because it looked like literally you were entering into the garden of God. You were entering into the garden of Eden. You were entering into heaven itself. The outer court he called earth. Or the, um, not the outer court, but the holy place he called earth, and the, uh, and the most outer court had the sea in it. So you have heaven, the most holy place. You have earth, the holy place. And then you have where the brazen sea or the brazen labor was at called the sea. Uh, 
So when I see an angel have one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea, what I see him doing is he's standing in one court with one foot in the outer court and one foot in the holy place, and he's about to declare that the court that's without is about to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. So when he's putting his foot on the land and one foot on the sea, he is literally standing in the temple saying, it's just about the time of the end. That in other words, when he says time no longer, that he's saying the fulfillment of what I prophesied in Matthew 24, Luke 21 is about to occur because all of this stuff is about to happen in the 11th chapter of Revelation when the temple will be trodden underfoot of the Gentiles for 42 months. Now, I think that's powerful. But uh, that, that to me just, uh, uh, you know, uh, is amazing. Now, I have to say, we can say that with all, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, that was the end of the story. But what I have to tell you is that in the book of Revelation, one temple fades off of the scene, but another tabernacle comes on the scene. The tabernacle of God that comes on the scene in the book of Revelation is not a building back over in the Middle East that God is going to rebuild, but the tabernacle and the temple that God is, is building in this hour is made out of lively stones that are being fitly framed together that are to build a habitation of God through the Spirit. They are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. And when he declares in the 21st chapter of Revelation, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, uh, I, I like how the Message Bible says it. It says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He has made his home with men. That to me is powerful because no longer is God living in a building made out of wood, hay, and stubble. See, if Jesus lives somewhere in the Middle East, do I have to get an airplane trick ticket to go see him? I submit to you that all I've got to do is enter into his presence right now and I can have access to this throne of grace because I believe I can come boldly to the throne of grace and have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the owner of the universe universe, and not only to have access to him, but he has come and taken up his abode within us so that he truly is Emmanuel, God with us. The coming of the Lord is so multifaceted. It is not just a physical return alone. And we will see that I believe there was a return of the Lord in the clouds because this chapter 11 is the sound of the archangel, the voice that he comes with, and the shout. And there is a coming of the Lord that will occur in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation that we will cover as we get over into there. But we are just about out of time for now, so we just simply say to you, uh, come tune in again, follow us on Facebook, uh, go to our YouTube page, watch these things again, share them on your Facebook page, help us get the word out. God bless you. Take a moment to become a partner with us today. Just take a few moments to call the number on the screen and let them know you want a covenant with us for monthly or a one-time gift or whatever you're able to do or whatever you feel the Lord leading you to do. One thing we're not going to do is try to manipulate people and try to get you to do something you don't want to do. If you believe in what we're doing, get behind it, support the gospel that we're preaching, and we will deeply appreciate it and take the gospel around the world. God bless you is our prayer. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.